Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hello and welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'm the host of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. I want to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate all the people that have been tuning in and giving me feedback on the show. Uh, I, I really do truly appreciate it, and I hope that everyone that's listening gets something out of this and is benefiting from it in some way. Um, I also hope that everybody's staying busy and staying healthy out there right now. Uh, we got a lot of craziness going on in the world right now. Of course, the automotive industry has been deemed an essential part of America and business and the economy. So a lot of us are still going to work uh, while maybe our loved ones and family is staying at home, working from home. Um, so it's kind of a kind of scary deal out there right now, getting into a number of vehicles a day, being exposed to who knows what. But uh, hopefully everyone is staying safe, staying healthy, and hopefully making some money while you're at it, because that's a big concern for a lot of people right now, too, is how am I going to pay my bills if I'm stuck at home and not working? But anyways, we're going to get into the episode today. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about technical service bulletins. Now, it doesn't take very long to explain what a technical service bulletin is, and I'm sure most of you have heard of one or used technical service bulletins. A TSB is what I'm going to reference it as. You know what those are. You use them. If you're not familiar, real quick, uh, a technical service bulletin is something that's used by every manufacturer, at least that I'm aware of. And it is just information from the factory, from the dealerships at the dealership level, where there were there was enough vehicles with the same problem, a pattern failure, if you will, that they wrote up a document explaining what the problem was, the symptoms, maybe some codes to go along with it, and what the fix was, whatever that might be, a new part, adjusting something programming something, whatever it is, but it's kind of like a quick fix for you. Um, it's kind of another uh, version of maybe Identifix or something like that, but from the factory level. And TSBs have been around for a long, long time. They've been around as long as I've been in the industry. Uh, this was before I had access to anything like IATN or Identifix, I had service bulletins because they're in your service information, at least with all that and Mitchell. And if you have access to the factory service information, obviously they're going to be in there as well. So TSBs can be really helpful. I'm sure, again, everyone that's listening has used one and it's probably got them to a conclusion faster. And that's really the the biggest benefit of a technical service bulletins. They give you a lot of detail, but they get you to a fix faster. They help you diagnose something or repair something quicker than it would take you otherwise. And I don't use them as something to just slap a part on a vehicle without actually testing anything, but I use them so I know what to go test first. Uh, so it can kind of streamline my diagnostics and hopefully 
help my efficiency. Uh, so today, I just want to kind of stress the the benefit of TSBs and how they can really uh, save your butt. Um, you know, so, sometimes they're not as useful, especially on a high mileage vehicle, because, you know, you figure something that's been out on the road for 150,000 miles, it's well past all of those TSBs that were set up. They were established on the vehicle when they were lower mileage in the dealership, a lot of them, especially if you look at the dates. Uh, For instance, a 2006 vehicle has a TSB that came out on 2008, and it's 2020 now. Well, there's a good possibility that all of those cars have been fixed for that issue. And so you may or may not run into that specific issue again. So sometimes they're not as helpful, but I I always do go through and I check the service bulletins, especially if I have a specific symptom, a specific code, just to see if there's anything that can point me quickly to where I need to go. A lot of times in programming, uh, TSBs can be really, really useful because they include why we're doing this programming. Well, you know, what symptoms are we trying to remedy by updating the software in a control module? And a lot of times, I only try to program control modules if there's a service bulletin and a symptom that is actually happening, uh, or if it's a brand new control module, obviously you have to program it. But with a service bulletin, I know, okay, this update is going to correct this problem that we have on this vehicle. But the other place that I really like TSBs is just when they save me a lot of time. And again, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I've got two case studies where TSBs saved my butt, uh, quite honestly. they One of them, uh, maybe I would have figured it out on my own. I, I don't know. Uh, it would have taken me a, a little while to do this. The, the service bulletin pointed me right to where I needed to go. Uh, the second case study I have today, I don't know if I would have figured this out if it wasn't for the technical service bulletin. So again, the point of this is just to remind you that, hey, uh, I should check Service Bolton if I haven't already. And some of you, that's part of your routine. And it's part of my routine. If it's not, uh, I just encourage you to do that, to go through in your service information, whatever you use, and check the Service Bulletins to see if you have anything related to the problem that you are experiencing, the symptom or the code, whatever it might be. So we'll get into the two case studies. The first one actually was just this week. And again, this was ended up being a slam dunk for me because of the service bulletin. And again, maybe I would have found something if I didn't have the bulletin. It would have taken me a while. Uh, but here's the situation. This is a 2013 Buick LaCrosse. And this particular LaCrosse has a 2.4 liter, the Ecotec engine. But this is a hybrid Buick LaCrosse. Okay, so this is a setup where they have the Ecotec engine, and the hybrid setup on this one's a little different, at least different from what I'm familiar with as far as hybrid drive goes. I mean, I see a lot of Toyotas and stuff like that. You know, almost every manufacturer has some version. I haven't worked on a ton of these, and maybe they're more popular in other areas, but I, I actually hadn't seen one of these before in person. The way this hybrid is set up on this Buick LaCrosse. Again, it's the 2.4 liter engine, has a a regular automatic transmission, and then it has a, they call it a starter generator, which 
it's on the front side of the engine. You can see it when you open the hood, and it looks like a massive, massive alternator, like two, three times the size of a normal alternator, but it's in the place of the alternator, and it is actually belt-driven off of the crank. And maybe I should say it's not always driven. Sometimes it is doing the driving, but this motor generator or starter generator does two things. It is going to produce 115 volts or it's 110 volts AC voltage to charge the high voltage battery. And it can also apply a power assist to the motor, uh, not only for uh, acceleration, but it can actually start the engine at, when it goes into an auto stop mode. So when you're driving the vehicle, you come to a stop, this motor can actually turn over the engine and start it. And again, the idea is for fuel economy savings. That's the whole idea here. Well, that's the setup for this vehicle. That's what this vehicle has. Now for the problem on this vehicle, why I was brought in to diagnose it, the shop had gotten this in and the 12 volt charging light was on. So the, this is your typical red battery light that you would see on a dashboard of pretty much any vehicle when the 12 volt system is not charging. And they had replaced the battery and they said they replaced the battery in attempts to fix this and it did not change anything. And I didn't have any other information than that. So first thing, of course, I verify it's actually not charging. And then I look and yes, of course, we have the red battery light on the dash indicating that it's not charging. Uh, you know, we had a jump pack on it and it's running about 12 volts as it's running and dropping slowly. So I quick do a code scan of this thing because this isn't just a regular 12-volt alternator that you can check the output from. It's, it's a high-voltage component that is going to be charging it. And so I check for codes just to see if there's codes in any, in any of the modules. And the only one I came up with was in the BCM for the windows not being calibrated. Okay, well, they had the battery disconnected, so that's why those are there. I did the window calibration quick, not that I needed to, but I'm sitting right there. I just did it so I could see, will this clear all the codes? Is there anything else that'll pop up? And there's there's no codes in this thing at all. Any module, including the hybrid drive, there's a battery control module. I'm using the Autel just to do a quick auto scan of the full vehicle. I get no codes in this thing at all, and it's not charging. Okay, well... I think before I proceed any further, I need to learn a little bit more about this system. So I want to know exactly how do we get our 12-volt system charged when we don't have a conventional alternator. And this is going to work somewhat like your typical hybrid system that you would see. What's actually going to happen is this 110, 115-volt uh, motor generator on the front of the vehicle is going to charge the high voltage battery, which is located in the trunk. And this is a 110, 115 volt high voltage battery. So not quite as high voltage as we see in some hybrids, but still high enough voltage to pass through your body. So you need to be cautious if you're going to do any sort of testing on these systems. You need to be aware of what you're doing so you don't hurt yourself. So I want to do a little bit of reading on this before I proceed. And how this works is there is a control module 
that is called the generator control module. And this actually has several sub-modules located within it that perform certain tasks within the hybrid drive system. But one of those sub-modules in the generator control module is a DC to DC converter that takes 110 or 115. I, I keep saying those two numbers because I saw both used in the service information. I guess we could just call it 115. Uh, takes the 115 DC volts from the high voltage battery and converts it into 12 to 14 volts for the 12 volt system. So that's where we're charging our system from. So at least I know now, okay, this is where it comes from. There's a control module that actually performs this function. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, is there something going on with the high voltage batteries? There's something going on with this motor generator, something going on with this module. Uh, I'm not really sure at this point. And this is where I did a TSB search and it made my life really easy, which is nice uh, because I didn't want to spend all day messing around. So I pull up this service bulletin and, and what I did is just a quick search in my service information under the electrical charging system, the hybrid drive system, since I know they're both involved in this. And what I find is a service bulletin that lists the condition or concern that I have. And I love it when the description of the TSB is exactly what I have going on. I'm always feeling really good about that when it it's like down to the letter exact problem I have. In this case, it was. So the condition concern listed on the TSB is as follows. There may be a service charging system or battery saver message, MLI on and or charging system may be inoperative with no related DTCs. Okay, so I have my light on, my warning indicator, my little red battery light, and I have no DTCs and the 12 volt system is not charging. Okay, so Mr. TSB, what are we going to do to fix this? It says what you need to do, and it's telling you to use the GDS2, but you can do this with an Autel. Uh, ask me how I know. You go into the hybrid powertrain control module, and even though, at least on the Autel, and maybe maybe this is why they're having you use the the GDS2. But even if you go into read codes, once you're into the hybrid powertrain control module, there are no codes present. There's nothing in there. So I wouldn't think that you'd need to clear anything. Well, there's a special section in there that says clear secured high voltage DTCs in this hybrid powertrain control module. It's a special function once you've entered into that module. And the service bulletin actually has you go in and clear the secured high voltage DTCs. That's what you're looking for in the hybrid powertrain control module. And then it goes on to have you actually clear them in the battery energy control module as well. Uh, so it's the second option is actually right there in that special functions list for me. So I go ahead and I clear those out. Now, it didn't show me what the codes were or what was present in there, um, but it cleared those out. And as soon as I do that and I start up the vehicle, it starts charging. The battery light turns off. The 12 volt system is charging at 14 and some change and everything's good. And I do another code scan. There's no codes. And so I told the shop, I was like, okay, well, this is what the service bulletin says to do. It says to clear these out 
and it should take care of your problem, which it did in this case. But it also mentions something about this being necessary after a crash event. And so I did ask the shop, was this thing in an accident? Was it repaired? Was it at a body shop? And he did not know. Uh, All they wanted was for the battery to start charging. And that's all he wanted to pay me for. He was happy. He said, if there's another issue, he'll call me, but they were going to send it wherever it was going to go down the road. Um, So I feel like there might've been a little bit more to that one. I didn't get the whole story, Um, but I did my part. I got the battery charging again and it seemed to be okay once I left. But uh, that was just an instance where service bulletin showed me exactly what I needed to do when it really wasn't present in front of me when I was looking at the scan tool. For our second case study today, this one's a little bit more interesting. I actually did this one this past summer. I don't think I would have been able to find the answer to this problem had it not been for the service bulletin that I found on this one. This was a 2007 Chevy Silverado, and I know I've been doing a lot of GMs lately, but it's just kind of how it is in my area. I see a lot of domestic vehicles, and I do see a lot of General Motors, but I'll try to throw in some other makes and models as we go here, but this one's pretty interesting. Uh, Again, 2007 uh, Chevy Silverado. Uh, This is the 5.3 liter Vortec engine that utilizes the displacement on demand, the cylinder shutdown, the V4, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, This is the engine that actually shuts off four of the cylinders while it's going down the road. And I'm sure as many of you know, if you've worked on these vehicles, they have major problems with those systems not working correctly. Problems with the lifters, uh, problems with the VOLMs, problems with the oiling, the cam bearings, uh, the camshafts themselves. It's just a kind of a mess. And so a lot of people uh, want them tuned out. It's one of my Uh, most common questions I get when I'm programming at a shop. Can you tune this out of my truck? And I haven't got into that yet. I don't know that I will, but it's uh, something that a lot of people are looking for because they know it causes a lot of issues. Anyways, that's just the setup for what this vehicle has. And it's something that I take into consideration when I'm looking at this because the problem with this vehicle is that it sets a P0307. And I was told it occasionally would set a P0300, but it on a regular basis sets a P0307. So this would be a single cylinder misfire. And they've kind of gone through the works on this truck as far as what they did to try to fix this misfire. Because it came in for this misfire. Check engine light flashing. Again, P0307, which is a misfire in cylinder number seven. And this is the cylinder which is the rearmost on the driver's side bank just for reference where we're talking about that cylinder seven on this 5.3 liter engine they've replaced the well they took both cylinder heads off had them sent out to the machine shop they replaced all the lifters including the active fuel management that's the other name for that system is active fuel management the lifters the VOLM, the solenoid assembly that goes in the valley underneath the intake manifold. Uh, That was one of their attempts to fix this. I don't know if it was their first attempt, but it was the first thing they told me about. They've also swapped injectors and swapped coils. So I don't know which one they went after first. Doesn't really matter at this point, but 
nothing that they've done up to this point has gotten rid of this misfire. So my first thing I want to do is verify the misfire. They said it's it's very regular. It's, it happens every single time that you drive this thing. You're not you're not going to you're not going to miss the misfire. It's going to happen for you, which I like. I, intermittent problems can be difficult to work through. And so I want to verify this and I want to see what are the conditions, what's happening when this thing's misfiring. And so when this would happen was actually pretty interesting. It only occurs when you're driving under certain conditions. And what I mean by that is I couldn't get this misfire to happen in the shop. Uh, I tried even lifting the wheels off the ground and driving it, and I, I could not get it to duplicate in the shop, which makes my life a little bit more difficult uh, because testing is now going to have to be done on the road if I want to do any scoping. But that's okay, as long as I can duplicate this. So I go out and I drive this, and I actually had the service manager drive the truck for me so I could watch the scan tool and look at uh, look at things while he was driving it, and he knew how to duplicate this thing because they've had this truck in there. They've had it all torn down. Again, did the cylinder heads and everything, and it's exact same problems when they started. So when this happens is under coasting, and you watch on the misfire counter, and you see the misfires on cylinder number seven uh, start to climb pretty highly. Um, this would be maybe not fully released on the gas pedal, but you've backed off and you're just sort of coasting. You're just sort of light acceleration, uh, moving the truck down the road. Light throttle is actually one of the times where we got it to happen the most, but you had to be moving down the road. You had to be going uh, 45 or so. Uh, sometimes when we came up to a stop, that misfire would continue for a short period. You'd really feel it at idle, and then it would clear up again and start running okay. But again, even loading it in the bay, even putting the wheels up, we couldn't get it to do it, which I thought was strange. Uh, this wasn't like a loaded misfire like an ignition. Uh, you know, if it's a secondary ignition, a coil or a plug or something, it's going to present itself under a load. And that really wasn't the case. You could get it to miss under a load, but the light throttle coasting and sometimes at idle didn't really have me thinking ignition system. And, you know, they've swapped components. So things that I'm thinking in my mind, okay, is it actually missing on cylinder number seven? Now, I had a Tech 2 hooked up to this one, and Tech 2 said, yeah, it's cylinder number seven. That is the one that's missing. So I, I generally t trust my scan tools, especially if I'm using the factory tool. But, eh, hey, they, they definitely can be wrong. That's definitely a possibility. Um, so... What I decided to do here, uh, I think I, I did a compression check, just a relative compression check, and everything looked uh, right on the money. All the cylinders were nice and clean and even. And so I, I did not decide to go into in cylinder or anything like that just yet because it didn't seem, didn't strike me like a mechanical problem either. Now, one thing I should mention is that this cylinder is actually one of the cylinders that uses the, the shutdown, the active fuel management lifters that will collapse, that will prevent the valves from opening, and basically kill that cylinder. So I do have that in my mind as well, that, okay, could this be uh, a problem with that active fuel management, even though they've replaced all the components? And that's a possibility too, and that's kind of why I wanted to do a compression check. Uh, now, if it's intermittent, uh, who knows? You know, I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe it's after it activates going down the road where we, where we activate the V4 mode and then we disable it. Maybe when it comes back, 
it's not releasing that lifter and so we're not moving the push rod and we're not opening the valve that's that's a thought that's going through my head right now but i need a way to test that if i'm going to prove that out what i decided to do first was i wanted to connect my scope to spark and to the injector event while this is happening so i look at amperage on the injector i look at secondary ignition on the small plug wire going to cylinder number seven. If I'm going to chase down this mechanical issue, I want to at least rule out fuel and spark before I do that because these are easy things to check that I just want to verify that it is not something simple like a uh, plug wire or a connector on a fuel injector that's coming loose. So everything's present there. As far as injector amperage and a spark event, I never lose it even while I'm misfiring. So I hooked up my scope, put it through the window, went out and drove it, and I have what seems to be good spark and what seems to be just fine injector amperage the entire time. So at least electrically speaking, I have control over both of those events. Um, so maybe I do need to consider mechanical um, again, I did that relative compression test. Everything comes up fine there. Uh, so I, I just wasn't ready to go in cylinder. I was thinking about maybe hooking up my WPS, going out and driving it, activating that V4, and seeing if it is not coming back to life. If the if the lifter is sticking, that's what I'm kind of thinking might be happening on this one. Even though they replaced all the components, eh, there's no such thing as a new component. But at this point, I want to stop here before I really get into the weeds on testing this thing because you don't want to waste a whole lot of time, especially when you've got a lot of other jobs to do, you've got other cars to diagnose. And this is the point, and maybe I should have even done this sooner, but this is definitely a point where we kind of want to stop and look at our resources, uh, do some digging, do some searching just to see maybe there's something out there that can help me get me to the answer faster that can point me in the direction of what I need to, to test. Well, in this case, the service bulletin really saved my butt. So I was able to find a service bulletin and oddly enough, I did not find it under the service information for this exact vehicle option. When I would go into all that or Mitchell, this one didn't pop up where it came up for me was doing a search in I, IATN and someone had listed this in the comments many, many years back um, about this cylinder number seven misfire on a Silverado within the year range that I have. And here's what the service bulletin lists as the problem. Well, again, I like to see a service bulletin that describes my problem exactly. It said the dealer may encounter a customer concern of an SES light and an engine misfire. The misfires accumulate mostly on cylinder number seven, which that's what I have going on. A possible cause could be fuel contamination. If present, the contaminated fuel will collect around the number seven fuel injector due to the rail configuration on these vehicles. Fuel contamination can cause random misfires on other cylinders as well. And they're saying the fix for this, obviously, is to check the fuel quality and replace the fuel if it's contaminated. Now, I had never seen this before. I had never seen contaminated fuel cause a single cylinder misfire. Sure, I've seen contaminated fuel, but the entire engine runs like garbage, or maybe it doesn't even start 
or if it's E85, it'll run lean. But contaminated fuel causing a single cylinder misfire? I'll be honest, I never would have checked that had I not saw the service bulletin. I would have messed around with my WPS measuring in-cylinder pressures uh, all day long trying to look at valve events and stuff like that. I would have gone down that road if had it not been for this service bulletin. But because of the service bulletin, I took the time. We pulled out a fuel gauge. We took a fuel sample in a Gatorade bottle that just happened to be laying there in the trash next to the truck. And we look at this stuff. And while it's yellow, you cannot see through this fuel sample. It is super, super cloudy and full of little black fragments. And anybody who's seen normal gasoline before can easily tell that this is not right. There is contamination here. And so... I didn't get the answer immediately to say that it, this fixed the car, but I told them, you guys got to change this out. And I got some strange looks because they thought the same thing that I did. Okay, this is a single cylinder misfire. How is it caused by fuel contamination that's getting delivered to all the cylinders? That just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But what they're saying is the rail, and I think if you look at the rail, it actually sort of tilts back towards the rear of the engine where the number seven cylinder happens to be. And for whatever reason, the contamination must collect on that point. And maybe it's worse when the vehicle is driving. At least that's what I experienced because I couldn't get it to happen in the bay. But once I was out driving, movement from the vehicle maybe had something to do with it. I mean, I wish I could see inside the rail and know exactly what's going on in there, but I do know that it it was causing a misfire. So they drained the tank, they put in fresh gas, this thing ran like a top, and they were extremely happy because they had this truck for a really long time. I mean, yeah, I I guess I'd like to take credit for that, but someone else at the dealership is really the guy that should be taking the credit for this because they went through the painstaking process of figuring out that fuel contamination could cause a single cylinder misfire. Uh, You know, you learn something every day in this business, and I, I definitely learned something that day. But that's that second case study. We fixed a single cylinder miss with uh, clean fuel. So uh, hopefully you got something out of those. Again, the point of this is just just to remind you to check for service bulletins, especially if you're dealing with a problem that you don't see a clear answer to. If you haven't gone into your service information or you haven't gone through Identifix, whatever it might be, and checked for TSBs, make sure you do it because it might just save you uh, a lot of time in your day so you can make money on other stuff. All right, that's all I've got today. Uh, Everyone out there, please stay safe. Please stay healthy. And hopefully you tune in again soon. Uh, I am going to have the other two parts out for the three-part Mass Airflow series. Uh, I'll be getting those out in the next week or so. But other than that, thanks for listening. Have a great day.